Well, we come to our Bible reading, which still is going to bring to us from Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. And you'll find this on page 1048. Over these last Sunday mornings, we've been uh, looking at the parables of the Lord Jesus, specifically from Luke's Gospel. And today we come across not one, but three very famous um, parables. And as Jill reads to us, perhaps it would be useful to see how they are different and how they are similar. So Luke chapter 15, and it's on page 1048 in the Pew Bible. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together. And he says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had. He set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father And say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hard men. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, 
and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he was back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we, we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Amen. As Frank has already said, uh, at the General Assembly last week, um, there was a decision made to uh, confirm the historic position um, of the Presbyterian Church and, and most churches on, on the sacraments and what it means to authentically take the, take the sacraments. I think uh, uh, many of us who were there would agree that it uh, didn't all fall out in the best possible way. It wasn't well done, and if we could go back a couple of weeks, things would have been done differently. But it has sparked uh, a very significant discussion, and uh, it's been in, in the media quite a bit. When we come to Luke 15 today, I, I believe it's providential that God has brought us to, to this point today, because the uh, little cluster of three parables is, is very, very relevant to what we're, uh, we have been thinking about during the week. Um, I also realize that I'm in danger of falling into the same trap that the General Assembly fell into, and that is that the words that I say might be uh, misinterpreted, or that I might not say exactly what I think I'm saying, and I may stumble over my words because I'm not working from a complete prepared script. And that's why um, we're having the opportunity afterwards to have a chat. Um, uh, can I suggest that if you want to have a chat about these things, that you get your, get your cup of tea and come straight over uh, to the outside halls, to, to the cities over there, and we'll talk about it. And that'll mean that uh, anybody who wants to have a chat about something, then wants to come back and hear uh, about Open Doors, th there'll be an opportunity to, to do that. So, We'll gather over there, and you can come and go uh, as, as you like. I will endeavor to be finished in time for Bill and Ruth to take the uh, <laughs> seat, seat down there. Shall we pray together? Let us pray.
Father, as we reflect on these well-known parables, we pray that familiarity with them might not breed contempt in us, but that we might see things, see fresh things from Your Word and hear Your voice speaking to us freshly. So open our ears, open my lips, so that You might be heard. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I guess my, my first reaction to, to finding out that I was, was preaching on Luke 15 would be similar to, to any of the, the preachers who are, are here, and that is Luke 15, uh, lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. I could preach that in my sleep. In fact, if I got up to preach and fell over, probably 90% of the congregation could take my place uh, and, and preach it. It's very well known. It's pretty straightforward to interpret. So, what do we say? And then I made the mistake of looking at the text more closely. And suddenly it didn't seem quite as simple as before. But also, as I've already said, the incidents of the past few weeks, uh, past couple of weeks, kicked in. And there seemed to be a resonance between what was going on uh, in our community and in our church and what the parable is saying. And so, we think today about scandalous love. Or to put that another way, what Jesus says to religious people about sinners. Now, that subtitle comes from the first couple of verses. Because if you look at the first couple of verses, you'll see quite clearly that at the beginning of verse 1, who's coming to Jesus? Well, it's the tax collectors and sinners. And that's a broad catch-all term for those whom society rejected because they were bad people. They were all coming close. But also, verse 2, the Pharisees and scribes were there grumbling, as they so often were. So, you've got these two groups of people listening to Jesus as He tells these stories. And I, I think both groups of people need to hear these stories. As Frank said before the passage was read for us, there are significant differences between the first two. So, I'm going to go, sorry, between the first two and the third. So, I'm going to go through the first two, make a number of points from them, and then go through the third and essentially make the same points again. But if I can put it roughly like this, the first two are to one group whom Jesus is talking to, and the, the, the third parable is to the other group. So, a question. What's the first thing that Jesus is saying to these people in the first two parables? Just for a second. Now, have a look at it and think about that. And I'm pretty sure that most of us are coming up with the wrong answer. I love to do with this with classes in, in, in college. Because the obvious answer is probably wrong. What's the first thing that Jesus says to these tax collectors and sinners? Hmm? The first thing that he says to them is, you're mine. Because the sheep and the coin, 
wouldn't mean anything if they didn't belong to the shepherd and to the woman. So the first thing that these tax collectors and sinners need to hear is not what I'm going to say in a minute. They need to hear God saying, you're mine. I'm committed to you. Just like that shepherd is committed to the sheep, I'm committed to you. You're mine. Just like that woman is committed to that coin that's lost, I'm committed to you. You're mine. And that's the first thing that they need to hear. Now, interestingly, of course, that's not the first thing that they were hearing from the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious people. But it's the first thing that God is saying. You're mine. Yeah? The second thing, of course, is, yes, the one that I guess most people thought of. You're lost. But it's interesting as we look at the first two uh, parables, there are actually two types of lost. Let me distinguish between them for you. The first is foolish lost, and that's the sheep. This dopey sheep has been grazing happily away, and well, who knows what's happened. You can make up your own story and, uh, and tell it to the children next week. Is that the sheep was so intent on eating that he didn't notice the rest going in another direction, and the shepherd going off with the rest. Is that what happened? Or was he looking, was he, she? Pronouns are interchangeable throughout this, by the way. <laughs> was he or she looking for ever fresh grass, and oh, there's a nice bit over there. Oh, and there's a nice bit over there. Oh, and there's a nice bit over there. Doesn't really matter. The thing is, the sheep was foolish and got itself lost. And there is that type of lostness, isn't there? That type of lostness that, that people get into that they don't mean to get involved with, but life just sort of drifts, and before you know where you are, you're lost one way or another. But there's also a second type of lost. Now, the, the um, ten coins that the woman had may well have been part of her dowry. They may well have been, as, as in the picture, part of a, a, a necklace or, or a um, sort of tiara thing that, that you can still, still see worn in, in some Eastern countries whereby a, a woman will, will uh, present her wealth. And if one of these is lost, well, out in public there's a space there. Or if it comes to... Um, understanding how well she's respected in the community, that there's something bad going on there. But stick with the coin for a minute. What a naughty coin. What a wicked coin that had jumped off the, the necklace and run away and hidden behind the cushions. No, no, that, that's just daft, isn't it? The coin's just a coin. The coins just somehow or other got lost. It's not the coin's fault. And here's where we have to be very careful with parables, not to push things too far. Was it the woman's fault? No, no, no. That, that, that's, that's reading too much into the parable. The key thing here is it's not the coin's fault. And that's why I want to call this innocent lost.
by very virtue of what it was, by very virtue of what had happened to it, not its own fault, it had become lost. There was a lostness that wasn't its own fault. It just was lost. So, in these first two parables, Jesus is saying that among tax collectors and sinners, and folks, we know well enough, don't we, to say this applies to all of us in one degree or another. There are these first two types of lostness. A lostness like the coin that's just part of what we are. It's not our particular fault. It's nothing we've done. We just are. And there's a lostness that's part of folly that we've wandered into. It's no big thing from our point of view. It's just an accumulation of little things. But the truth is we're just as lost. And the present state, and I think especially this for the sheep, the present state of being lost is not a good place to be. For the coin down in behind the uh, cushions under the sofa isn't a great place to be either, but hey, you know, it's, it's life and maybe that rings a bell. It's just not a great place to be. For the sheep, it's an awful lot worse than that because night's coming. And with night comes two things. With night comes darkness and cold, and the temperature in, in the Middle East, as you may know, can go from blazingly hot during the day to freezing cold at night. And if the dew comes down and the sheep's cold after a couple of days, it's not going to go to a good place. And of course, with night, what else comes? Yep, the wolf or the bear. It's not going to a good place. And that's the thing about lostness whether innocent or foolish, it's just not a good place to be. And it's not going to a good place either. And then Jesus says, God's looking for you. I toyed with binoculars as, as a picture here, but I thought, no, let, let's have the woman sweeping up. Jesus says, God's looking in all the awkward corners for you. All the little places that the Dyson misses where you just might be tucked away. God's looking for you. You see, he wouldn't bother doing that if you weren't his in the first place. But he's saying, you're in a shocking position. It's awful. It's not going any better. I'm coming looking for you. And I'm not going to be satisfied until I find you. And then when I find you, boy, there's going to be some party. Is that what happens? Shepherd finds a sheep. The woman finds the coin. They both do the same thing. They come home. They give a, a, an invitation to all their friends, and they have a blast. And that's fantastic news. To those who are tax collectors and sinners listening to Jesus, they're hearing Jesus say, God actually does love you despite what these religious people say. God knows that you're lost in a bad place, heading to a worse place. God's reaching out. He's come looking for you, and He's inviting you, come on in. We're going to have a party, and when you come back, we are going to celebrate. Isn't that fantastic? It's the first two 
You can see in the third one, can't you, how it just jumps off the page. If the first two weren't obvious, the third one really is. Because it begins with the father and the son. Or the father and two sons, as you know. And so it's obvious that the father has this intimate connection with the son. And of course, as it goes on later into the parable, that, that becomes so very, very, very obvious. But at the start, Jesus is saying, um, okay, uh, tax collectors, sinners, you heard the first two. Religious people, are you listening? Are you? Are you listening? There was a very wealthy man who had two sons. And I wonder were the religious people and the tax collectors and sinners standing in two groups? And did Jesus say there was a wealthy man who had two sons? Oh, maybe I'm just guessing there. He's saying to the religious people, God says, you're mine. And the religious people say, I know. Of course he is. Of course we are. Isn't God lucky to have us as his son? And the tax collectors and sinners, have they started to hear already? Are they starting to think two sons? Could it be? It is. Do you notice the difference um, that, uh, again, Frank alerted you to earlier, as, as Jill read? Here we have a deliberate running away. The son is not innocent. The son does not just happen to fall into lostness. The son deliberately turns away. And not just an ordinary turning away, you know, sort of like, like, like I was saying to, to the children. <clears throat> this is a deeply, deeply insulting turning away. This is a turning away that leaves a father with an absolutely broken heart. Now, there's no mother talked about, but it's not difficult to guess. There's a mother with a broken heart as well. This is a son turning his back on everything. And not just turning, turning his back on the way you do things or not just turning his back on your lifestyle, or not just turning his back uh, on the country, or the nation, or wealth, or whatever. It's turning his back on the person. There's a question. In the first two parables, who makes the first move? It's certainly not the sheep, and the coin hasn't the remotest chance of making the first move. And if Jesus is keeping the parallelism going, then it would be the Father who makes the first move. But it's not the Father who makes the first move here. It's the Son who has become lost. And you can see I'm skipping over all the material in between. Who makes the first move? It's the Son. And if the religious leaders and the tax collectors and sinners have got the idea of what Jesus is talking about now, then the religious leaders are starting to say, yes, you bad people have to make the first move. And the tax collectors and sinners are starting to say, well, 
maybe there is something we need to do. Maybe there is a certain responsibility on our shoulders. So the son makes the first move. Well, what about the father? You know what the father's doing because doesn't it come in, in, uh, in these verses? You can follow it through. You can spot it, can't you? Yeah, in these verses? He's waiting. He's looking. Because while the son was still a huge distance away, the father sees him and he runs towards him. So the father is not inactive. The father hasn't written the son off and said, hey, well, you know, you've made your bed, you lie in it, kid. The father's heart is broken. The father's always looking down the road to see when the son comes. And then what does the father do when the son arrives? I, I think it was Mark. Is Mark? He's, he's gone out. Oh, there you are, Mark. I think it was Mark who asked the question. Um, you remember, was it a couple of years ago? We did a, did a little bit of a drama on, on the prodigal son, and I played the part of the father and, and came down and came up the length of the church. And I think it was Mark who asked the question, at what age do men stop running? And it's an excellent question because this father was well beyond the age at which men stop running. Essentially, in that culture, you stop running when you stop being a boy. That is, when, you know, when you come to manhood uh, early. But this father, old enough to have at least two children who were themselves adults, gathers his robe up around him and runs. Now, what are the two groups of people saying? The tax collectors are, and sinners are saying, I can't believe this. Is this really true? That if I begin to come back to God, God is going to run towards me. Is that really true? And the religious people are saying, you've crossed a line, Jesus. We don't run. And God certainly doesn't run. And Jesus says, this is scandalous love. Because God does run. The father's waiting. The father goes out to meet him, or I chose a mother here. The father embraces him and says, my son, my son, and he just won't listen to anything the son uh, is saying. As soon as the son, son starts to say, treat me as a servant, <laughs> it's, it's nonsense to the father. It's nonsense. You're my son. Remember, we click back a few slides. You're mine. And he embraces him, and he welcomes him home. And there is some party, and it's fantastic. And wouldn't it be great if it just ended there? But if it just ended there, the religious leaders walk away and say, oh, I'm sorry for them, but hey, that, this guy just doesn't understand God. And so Jesus says, there's another brother. What about the other brother? And the religious leaders get the idea, this is us. And Jesus says to the religious people, what about you? How are you looking at your younger brother? How are you looking at those people 
whom you consider to be, used the phrase before, haven't I? NQOTD, not quite our type, darling. How do you look at them? Really? What does it make you think when God says, come on, I'm going to welcome you. I'm going to bring you in. What do you think he's saying? Yeah, well, we know what he's saying. And so the question for us is, where do we find ourselves? With a younger son? With the religious people? Or with God himself? The father reaches out and embraces the son. Did he say, as the son told him, you know, I've been feeding pigs for, for ages. I've been, well, son, just stay with the pigs. We've got a very fine pigsty here. You can just stay there. You've lost all my money. Well, hey, that's going to be tough for you in the future. Does he say that? No. He says, come on in. We'll have a party. More than that, you took all my money. Okay, here's a ring. But you're not staying with the pigs. Interesting. So, let me finish with, a, with another image that, that changes things a bit. What sort of fellowship are we? What does the Presbyterian Church in Ireland want to be? Simple. It's just another metaphor that I know PCI has used in the past. Are we a place where the porch light is left on because we're saying, come home? Are we? Surely Luke 15 says that's what we ought to be. Now, can I say it again? There are different types of lostness. For the lostness that is not your fault, come on. For the lostness that's the result of foolishness, come on. For the lostness that's part of rebellion, come on but I'm not going to let you stay living with the pigs. Shall we pray together? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your incredible, incredible, incredible love to us. That wherever we find ourselves, you say to us, come home. whatever our type of lostness, whether it's in a far country or whether it's that other type of lostness out with the people on the farm doing the work, you say, come home. And we love you for it. So help us by how we live, by how we speak, to reach out and say to everyone, come home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
And now we pray. And on this Father's Day, we thank the Lord for our fathers, those who are still with us, and those who have gone on to their reward. And we pray, Lord, that as we have thought of you, as you were presented to us in your word, as the waiting, the running, the embracing, and the restoring Heavenly Father. So each of us privileged to be a father may be led by your spirit to be more and more like you, our creator and our eternal father. We thank you, Lord, for all our summer activities and for the opportunities you give us to serve our community uh, down at Walkway, uh, on beaches and missions and in housing estates. Lord, we pray that our young people and all so involved may be enabled through what they do, what they say, and what they are to show Jesus and share his love. Lord, it's been a difficult week following the General Assembly, and it would appear that you are humbling your people. Forgive us where we have been stiff-necked, arrogant, and haven't got everything totally right. We acknowledge, Lord, that we find defending the truth of Christ much easier than sharing the compassion of Christ. He was full of grace and truth. Help your people as those who seek to follow Jesus day by day, to be more like him, and help us and all your children to get the balance right. Lord, be with those who feel battered and bruised following the assembly decisions, those who feel rejected and isolated, and those who feel misunderstood and maligned. And grant to our leaders the guidance and protection of your spirit. We pray for them, for the moderator, Charles McMullen, for the clerk, Trevor Gribben, 
for Stafford Carson, for our own Pastor Frank, for all who must face the media and explain the church's position. We pray for those who disagree with us, both within the PCI and beyond. For those thinking about leaving, and for those who feel that we do not value them. Lord, where there is anger, hurt, bitterness, and discord, bring the gracious presence of your Spirit, and may the name of the Lord be glorified through this controversy. And we bring our personal needs and concerns before you with thanksgiving. And all we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake.